Well, good morning and welcome to the Mount today. It is good to have you here. I know in our area here today, there was a big race today, the Marine Corps Half Marathon, and you guys are all here because you're smart enough to not run it. <laughs> no, there's many of you. Maybe you already run it, took a shower, and you are here, and I applaud your effort today. Well done. Well done. But it is good to be in the house of God today. I, I want to welcome our online uh, people that are with us as well. And, and really, I want to just begin, before I hit my message, I just want to say out loud today how grateful I am for Susan uh, and her message last week. I tell you, Susan brought an amazing word out of James chapter 3 on Mother's Day that... What a timely, timely word. And, and I know that I've gotten to witness Susan's leadership here these last uh, uh, many years, watching her lead in, in our student ministry as well as our kids' ministry, being over a family model. And I'm just telling you, she's a phenomenal leader, but I think she's an even better communicator. She's just so clear and leads to Jesus, and I'm just so grateful for her. Now, with all that being said, today as we begin our next message in the Soundbite series, let me share this with you because uh, uh, around Easter time frame, uh, my young drivers in my family uh, have given us such a blessing where now we're searching for used cars. Um, we, we totaled two cars in the same day within two hours of each other. And, and so we have been looking steadily for used cars. Yes, I am on speed dial with State Farm, right? And in this search, my wife's looking for a car for herself since her car was the one that was wrecked. Uh, I noticed this, when you start looking for a certain model, a certain uh, model and brand, all of a sudden you begin to see that car everywhere. Are you, are you with me? And, and you know, the mind's like that. When you bring something to the forefront, all of a sudden it's heightened, and now all of a sudden you, you can just spot it a mile away. You know what I'm talking about? Now, with that being said, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been here for at least one of the soundbite messages in this soundbite series? Okay, a lot of hands in this hour here. Yeah, good. Well, you know what I know to be true? That if we're talking about communication, listening and talking, and we bring it to the forefront, I'm telling you, every week I walk out of here and it's like my spidey senses have increased. And I'm paying attention to every conversation around me, both good and not so good. And, and, and as I'm listening to good conversations, bad conversations, I'm realizing, man, I've got a lot of room to grow in this area. Y'all going to leave me out there alone? <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of room to grow. Because guess what? We are selfish by nature. And we're so aggressive and active in what we're wanting to say that it, it's hard to be quick to, to listen. It's hard to, to connect in a real relational way sometimes when we're trying to move ahead. And so in this theme of conversation today, we're going to keep leaning in to, to the Word of God. Now, one of the verses that kind of has been a pivot point for this message is James chapter 1. Come on, James chapter 1, verse 19. And I preached this about three weeks ago, but it's really the core, one of the core verses for this series, Soundbite. And I just want to read it again over you today as we just continue to lean in. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I want you to claim it too, so let's just read this out loud together. Come on. If you're watching online and you're in the public place, scream it out loud right now. <laughs> Come on, here we go. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Are you with me? 
quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'm thinking about getting a tattoo. (laughs) But I need to tattoo this verse on my mind. Are you with me, Nick Jonas? Are you with me? Because listen, I need this verse in the forefront every day so that I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind so I know how to not just engage with my day, but how to engage with people. Are y'all with me yet? Now, some of you are new to the series, so I want to give you a little bit of review. So if you've been here, help me uh, fill in this for a minute. As we talk about this, what God's heart is for communication, let's just kind of review this for everybody here today. What is the purpose of communication? It's to connect, right? Let's don't lose the basic foundation of it all. It's to connect with the person that you're having the conversation with. But see, there's a desire that we all have. Our desire is to be heard and our desire is to be understood. We want people to hear us in the words that we're saying, but we want them to feel the the words too of what we're sharing so that we're understood in that moment. But we got a problem. Our problem in communication, come on, is selfishness. Like I said earlier, we get in the way oftentimes of good, healthy communication. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. And so what do we do? We've got to practice against this. And the Bible, the best part about this is actually calling us to do something to work against this. And the practice is to serve others. We're going to serve others by hearing and understanding. We're going to, we're going to give them what they want. And what seems almost counterintuitive, as we serve the other, we actually uh, allow ourselves to become free in this. You see, sometimes we go, I can't serve others until I get what I want to get. But no, no, do this and you're going to end up finding it's the key that unlocks what you're actually after. And see, behind it all, the motivation behind it all is what? Come on. It's love. For God so loved. It's a relationship, right? And then it doesn't stop with just us and God. It continues in every one of our horizontal relationships. So this is a good kind of recast and recap for us about what it means to be a communicator. Now, here's what I know. Many of you here today are Christians. That means you have declared something in your life that Jesus Christ is Lord over you. That you have surrendered your life to him and you're now living for him. Now, if that is true for you, you're declaring that you're a Christian, then why don't we live like we're Christians? Why don't we connect and communicate and talk and listen? Because see, God has given us some things in his word to help us to know how to live this truth out. And so that's what we're going to continue to do today. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And as you're turning there... If simple conversations weren't hard enough, today we're going to talk about how to have conversations when there is conflict. Now, I wonder today, and I know this audience pretty well, how many of you would say, I I kind of love conflict. How many of you love conflict? There's always hands in every room. So anybody love conflict? Okay, somebody's not afraid of it. If we have to have it, let's go there, right? I I love it. Now, how many of you might say, "I I don't really love conflict at all. I don't really enjoy anything about that, right? And then everybody else is just in denial today, right, of making a decision. So this idea of, are you a conflict avoider or a conflict enjoyer? You kind of answer that for yourself. Now, sometimes there is stimulation when we get to have kind of a a kind of lock horns or we get to kind of talk through something. And I get there could be enjoyment. But what I've noticed about our current culture, that many people would just rather avoid conflict than to have to be in that kind of discomfort. And that maybe is you. Now, the irony of that is this. 
our current culture that's busy trying to avoid conflict loves to fight. This current culture has no problem telling you what they think and feel without a filter. Come on, you don't believe me? Facebook. You will find out what everybody thinks and what they're thinking about without a filter and what they post on their Instagram and what they put on their Facebook and what they put on their social media. But if the irony is this, we have a culture that's avoiding conflict but has no trouble sitting down and cranking out an email. Has no trouble giving you a text, but yet where's the face-to-face? It's this tension of how do we handle something that seems unavoidable. Now, I said it a few weeks ago, I'll say it again. I thought I was smart until I have teenagers. And now that I have teenagers, I'm realizing I'm constantly learning things about them and I'm constantly learning new words. My kids are good with vocabulary and they're teaching me some new words. And there's two words that they use that I see is a conflict avoider word. And so I'm gonna share those words with you today. Are you ready? All right, this is not biblical, so just go with me for a second here. There's the word of ghosting. You ever heard of that, ghosting? This is when you you need to have the conversation, nobody wants to have it. So what happens, you can't find your kids because they're always hiding in their room, right? They disappear, right? Men, we do it too. It's just called the garage, right? I'm working on something, right? I don't want to come in, so I'm going to just disappear. Listen, in, in text world, this is when you're texting someone and all of a sudden, hey, are you there? Hey, I said, hey, hey, where are you? And they what? They've, they've disappeared and you know they're still holding their phone, right? And that frustrates, right? Doesn't it? Listen, even in workforce, employers will say this, ghosting is alive and well. They'll have somebody that fights to get an interview and then they ghost the interview and they never show up. Or they come to the interview, they get the job and the first day on the job, they never show up. Or many employers said this, it's, it's not uncommon now for somebody to be in a job, something gets off, something happens, and the way they decide to quit is they just never come back to work. I know this sounds odd, but ghosting has become a way of what? Avoiding what uh, you need to address or what you need to face. Now, there's another word, and this one probably is more alive in our family than I care to admit. It's the word Roasting. <laughs> Roasting are the words that you share. It's the way you address conflict. Instead of dealing with the conflict, you you resort to some stinging jabs and you say some sarcastic things and you have these comments that fly. And it's all kind of done in the pretense of, oh, I'm just playing. Oh, I just didn't mean it. I'm just joking. But you know this, those things said do embarrass and they do hurt. Come on, anybody here? Anybody been here? And this idea of roasting uh, is usually done in front of others because you need people to chime in and laugh with you and to be a part of it. So it's the, it's the harsh things that come on and come out. And you know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on. Do you, need, you, need, you need some aloe for that burn, right? You know, it's all these things that you share. And, and yet, isn't that also a way of not really dealing with the conflict? The conflict. And so today, I've titled today's message, Elephant in the Room. And as we talk about the elephant in the room, I want you to get a visual of it because I believe this, it's it's many will avoid conflict because it seems safer at times to sweep potential conflicts or uncomfortable conversations under the rug. And as a result, it leaves many issues unresolved. And when issues linger and they stay unresolved, they begin to disturb the very peace that we claim we have that we don't want to have the conversation because it might interrupt 
And yet, even in this, in this, God has given us some directions for this. But before I go there, let me ask you this question. Is ghosting or roasting alive in your world at any level? Is it alive uh, tomorrow at work? Is it alive at home? Is it alive at school? Is it alive in friendships? I mean, can, you, can anybody relate to that at any level? And then as we talk about the elephant in the room, we've got to begin to understand that the elephant doesn't leave on his own. And the elephant surely doesn't leave when we're busy feeding the elephant. And the reality is this, is that when there's a conversation that we need and we choose silence instead, we're feeding it. When we cover it up instead of dealing with it in a loving, direct way, we feed it. When we avoid it, we feed it. When we ignore it, we feed it. And so I want us to kind of lean in because to me, sometimes it's not just about the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in you and the elephant in me. Because a lot of immaturity is rooted deep in the unresolved stuff, the unresolved issues of our family origin. Or it could be in a past trauma or a current situation that we're in. Or it could be issues with authority or issues with even faulty thinking. And dealing with elephants in the room, as as uncomfortable as this may be today for some of us, I want you to know this. Dealing with these elephants can transform immature behavior into a breakthrough for moments in your relationship, for moments for you as a team at work, for moments within an organization, or even a family. I believe this has the greatest impact on what could help set your culture apart if you're willing to practice God's word for your life. So Matthew 18 is where I want you to turn today. And we're going to begin in verse 15. And before I begin reading these verses today, let me share a little bit of context here. Because during my first job at my first church back in Texas, my pastor shared with me early on that the way that staff deals with conflict, he referred to it as we're going to deal with people with Matthew 18 in mind. He said, one another, Matthew 18, church members, Matthew 18. And when I heard that first, I knew what Matthew 18 was, but I never heard it in that framework before. And so I said, you know, I want to understand what that means. And so he began to share that with me. And ever since then, I really try to practice these verses because I believe these verses are the right way to live. It's what God wants for us. Now, as I share that, I want you to see this, that This might sound simple at some level, but if we'll trust this pattern and begin to put this passage into practice, I believe what seems simple could be powerful and effective if we apply it with love. And God wants something for us here. Now, to get some context, if you look at the first verse, you'll see that this was a conversation that Jesus had with his 12 disciples when they pulled away one day from a crowd. And so he is talking to the disciples about how one Christian should treat another Christian. Now, I think this is really important because many of us here today will say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so if you are, these words are for you. Now, I think the pattern, the principles of these words can be exercised with unbelievers too. And I think there could be some fruit from that. But I want you to know when we study this passage, this is a believer to another believer. This is what he believes. Jesus believes we should be for one another. And so I definitely want you to see the context of that. And so with that being said, 
we're going to look at Matthew 18. Now, by the way, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is written by a guy named Matthew. He is one of the 12 disciples, and yet he is the only one that records this part of the story that happened that day with Jesus and the disciples. It doesn't show up any other place, and so I want us to pay attention to that as well. All right, let's listen to the God's truth. Verse 15, if your brother or sister... Now, the word there in the actual language is the word Adelphia. Adelphia, we also get the word Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Now, he's talking to the 12 disciples who happen to be men there, but we know this, since then, disciples could be male or female. And so the NIV says, brother, sister, trying to help us get the application of moving forward in this. If you're a disciple of Christ, this word is for you. If your brother and sister sins... Or say it this way, sins against you or hurts you, then go and point out their fault or their offense. But look at what he says first. Just between the two of you. And then I highlighted this part because this is so foundational to understanding the passage. He says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. You've gained them back is what it's saying. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that in every matter it may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even after the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. All right, there's a lot of application packed here. I just want to pause here and just listen. Can we go to prayer? Right here today, online, in this room, bow with me. God, thank you. Thank you so much for loving us with the grace of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for giving us your living word, the Bible. God, what we're discovering from truth again today is that you have made us in your image and we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And God, because we're made in your image, we are relational beings. And in that, God, we are most alive when we're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet it shouldn't stop there, it should start there. God, in a right relationship with Jesus, you lead us to be right with others. And so today, as we lean in on this passage of Scripture that has so much application for us today, I pray beyond a to-do list, I pray for an encounter. God, we need to meet with you today. We need to know we have met with the living God today. And God, as you speak to our situations, as you speak to our relationships, God, may we have a heart that's humble and open to your heart. And God, as I prayed about this Sunday going towards this weekend, knowing how full this passage was, I also have been eclipsed with knowing that we lived the last seven days where we experienced a lot in our personal lives. And God, there could be somebody here today or somebody watching online today that they find themselves in a very broken place, right in the middle of a very hurt and devastating relationship. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just Apply grace and mercy in extra ways where it's needed. 
And God, this week I got the news of just another horrible moment to remind us that we live in a broken world. I heard news of a young girl on her 17th birthday was killed in a car wreck right here in our community. A junior at Colonial Forge High School, God. And I know that you know this family, God, and as people in our church here are connected to this family, I pray it's such a dark, dark hour for their family that you would bring, that you would bring your saving light and love. But it really does kind of humble us to know that that's the juxtapost of something that we're going to hear today. There could be somebody here that just lost someone in a tragic way, and there could be somebody in here today that's fighting cancer. There could be somebody here today that just lost a job. And God, in the economy of whatever we've brought into this conversation, would you just have an encounter with all of us, God? No matter the hurt that we find ourselves in, and and may we be open to the instruction, maybe the correction, so that when we walk out of here today, we're ready to live another seven days for you. We love you, God. Speak to us, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Hey, listen, imagine this. As we listen to a passage like this, it's not hard, but just imagine somebody has said something to you. Somebody has done something that hurt you or upset you. Somebody is offended. Somebody has in a bad habit or continued bad behavior. They've done things against you. What do you do? Are you going to actively address it or are you going to passively address it? What do we do? That's really kind of the question here. And what I was so blessed as I studied this passage this week, I've always seen the pattern there of how we're supposed to approach people. But I saw something in kind of a a new way. It's where do we start? And, And Jesus shows something here that's so rich and so powerful. And really, he shows us that we're supposed to start with the goal in mind. Now, I highlighted that part of the verse because I wanted you to see it, and it was this. It was that idea of if they listen to you, you have won them over. But it's so easy when we get all twisted up, when we get all stirred up, when we get emotional about something, it is too easy to hit the default button and to go back to dealing with things like you and I know how to deal with things. It's the framework of the Soundbite series. And in the soundbite, we're always going to be tempted. And here's the three temptations. We're going to be tempted for the need to win. We're going to be tempted to be right. And we're going to be tempted to get the last word. And you know that. And I know that. Because this is always the default of our old man and our old woman when we get emotional in a situation. And this is the soundbite culture that we live in. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is saying, there's another way. There's another way to do this. And he says, it starts with you understanding what's the goal. What's the goal? He says, you got to start with the goal. Come on, say that out loud with me. we got to start with the goal, right? Now, can I give you what he shares about starting with the goal? Because it's rich. When we began to see the goal, we began to see different of what life can be. But see, this is, this is what gets in the way of the goal. Remember, we got a problem. What's the problem? The problem is selfishness, right? 
And man, we live in a culture that's all about the self, right? Self-discovery, self-reliance, self-fulfillment. Come on, our culture is all about self. Can I just tell you, when you make culture about self, you're going to always have conflict with people. Or, Or let me say it this way. Hey, you want friends in your life? Here's some news for you. If you want friends, you're going to also have conflict. If you're going to be in any relationship, you're going to have conflict. So instead of avoiding it, we might need to learn how to manage it. And Jesus says, you got to start with the goal in mind. And here's the goal. The goal is so that they can be won over. What does that mean? It means that we're going to be about resolving the conflict We're going to be about restoring the relationship, and we're going to be about returning to unity. This is the goal when Jesus is Lord. It's not ignoring it, it's resolving it. It's restoring the relationship, and it's returning to unity. Come on, is this your motivation for the relationships in your life? Or is it about just winning? You see, there's always going to be a tension. I'm going to be about winning or about winning the relationship. And Jesus says, I want you to be about winning the relationship back. Now, this is not easy. Can we agree here? This is, this is not easy at all. But yet he says, you've got to start with that goal because you've got to check your own heart because it's too easy to get lost in your own emotions of it all. So what is your motivation? What is driving you? How different could your relationships be if you moved away from selfishness? But see, there's an elephant in the room. All right, turn to your neighbor right now and say, stop feeding the elephant. Tell him that. (laughs) Or just ghost your neighbor and say nothing to him. (laughs) He said, our hearts are humbled. And if our hearts are humbled and honest, then it's time to face the conflict. You see, important for you and I is to, first of all, recognize what is the offense. Because I don't know about you, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to get emotional. Sometimes you get into the middle of that and you're like, what am I even angry about? You can't even explain it. You can't even communicate it. And so what I say is this, when Jesus says, start with the goal in mind, then you have to back up enough to say, okay, what is this about the situation that has bothered me? Why has it bothered me? What is the offense? And when you begin to do that, you know what you begin to do? You begin to calm down and you can actually have a productive conversation before you actually go to a person. But you've got you to diagnose it first to say, what did they do and why did that trigger me in that way? You need to pay attention to that first. And let me give you some words to maybe kind of measure this, to kind of see this. Because to me, it always comes back to expectation and reality. Isn't that true? We always have an expectation of how it's supposed to be, what we want it to be. Now, this could sometimes come from God, but sometimes it could just be what we want. But what's the expectation? And then what's actually happening? Because you know what I find? The, The bigger the distance between your expectation and reality, the bigger the conflict actually is. Because that's when we are feeling it the most. See, we gotta pay attention to this. And as we even pay attention to this, is understanding the role of the expectation and why you feel that way. You see, the expectation is the what of the conflict. And when you begin to know this, it begins to help you be a little bit more objective and a little bit more calm where you're not just dealing with your emotions, but you're dealing with what needs to actually be addressed. Because I'm here to tell you, 
conflict is not comfortable, but it is better to have an uncomfortable conversation than to sit and get stuck in frustration. And how many of us just sit back and we're just stew over it again and again and again, and it just makes us more angry the more we think about it. And he tells us to examine ourselves first, to, to examine our heart and to examine our motivation. And you know why we need to examine our motivation? As clear as we can see things, we'll never be able to see everything. We will always have some blind spots. And in that, I think about how Matthew records Matthew 18. And earlier, he recorded this in Matthew 7. He says, hey, before you go to confront somebody, why don't you look at the speck of sawdust? Uh, I said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the, <laughs> to the, to the, to the plank in your eye? And isn't that true? You know what I find? The things that bother me and irritate me the most about others are usually the things that I'm struggling about personally. Come on, once you've seen that car, once you've seen that car, you start to see that car everywhere. Isn't this true? And the things that I'm passionate about are usually the things that's like, oh, I'm struggling with too. And if you begin to pay attention to that, then what if God could use your weakness to actually be a bridge to coming together with somebody and beginning to win a relationship back versus adding to the, to the space of that relationship. Come on, there's an elephant in the room, isn't there? But we got to start with the goal. Come on, we got to start with the goal. Second part of this is we got to practice the pattern. Say that with me. Practice the pattern. We got to practice the pattern. He gives us three ways to practice this. Number one is what? We got to keep the matter private. Do you know that your attitude and your approach will set the tone of the conversation? If you go emotional and you get loud and you're, ah, guess what they're going to do? They're going to match you and maybe one-up you. Your approach and attitude will set the tone. And when you start privately, you know what you're communicating? You're communicating, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to get the attention of others. I actually want to connect with you in this moment. There's something about Going one-on-one. On one. And Jesus says that's where you start. That's the pattern. Paul says it this way because he talks about the same kind of tension. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. You know that word restore there? in the Greek, gives us a word picture. It gives us a picture of setting a broken bone. He says, you're going you're gonna to restore someone, but then he says, you're going to restore someone gently. He gives kind of a description of what that should actually look like. So what do we do when we go privately? We check our hearts, we check our motivations, and we know what we're about to go address. And then when we do it, let me give you these three things. It's what you say, that's the content of what you're going to talk about, right? But it's not just what you say, it's when you say it, right? Because y'all know this, it's all about what? Timing. And then it's how you actually say it. And again, that's that control thing about your tone, your words, your emotions, right? It's all about the presentation so that the words can be heard and understood. 
And to me, when we begin to think about this one-on-one of what we desire, what's the goal, it begins to show up even in this first wave of going to that person privately. Now, in that, I I hate to tell you this, uh, it doesn't always work out that way. You could go with the right heart and the right words, the right timing, the right presentation, and it could still be rejected. But see, that's not what you're responsible for. You're responsible for your part. But what happens if it gets rejected is he says, practice the pattern. What's the pattern? What's part two? We, what, we widen our circle and we ask for some help, right? And the reason we're asking for help here, don't, don't lose sight of this, it's, it's seeking out mature Christians Mature Christians that don't emotionally respond, but people that are mentor type people that you trust and that person trusts, and then you go to them. Why? Because you want to still see that the goal is to see this person reconciled. You're not seeking to embarrass this person. You're hoping that the conflict can still be handled privately. That's still a value. That's still important. That perhaps this person is willing to listen to wise counsel of others. And you know why I think it could be important to bring people like that in the conversation? It's because you each have a blind spot and sometimes you don't even see your own blind spot. And what if other people there could help you to begin to see and understand what they're saying and what you're hearing and what you're saying and what they're hearing and begin to help in that. That's why sometimes within a relationship that's so intimate like marriage that gets off and now the husband and wife are just trying to win and they can't get past that way of trying to get the last word and be right. This is why sometimes a trusted godly counselor could sit and say, let me hear you guys engage and begin to give some feedback to the blind spots because they've lost the ability to see and to hear. But he references something here that's key. If you're Jewish, you'll get it. But he says two or three witnesses. He's actually referring back to the law in Deuteronomy. You see, a lot of times the way they solved things was through two or three witnesses. So again, the end game is redemption. The end game is unity. It's not shame and embarrassment. I think this is really key to understanding the pattern here because Jesus says you got to practice the pattern. you got to practice the pattern. Now, unfortunately, sometimes even with that approach, the person could still say no. So what's the next pattern? The goal now is to ask those circle to get wider, and now the church is going to get invited in. But see, at this point, the goal is not disciplinary action. The goal is for the person to see their fault to repent of their mistake, and to be restored. And if the offender still refuses the person and still refuses, then then he says, you're to treat that person as you would treat a pagan and a tax collector. Now that kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? That doesn't like translate to our modern day times. What do you mean? Like a pagan, like a... But listen, Matthew, the writer Matthew, he writes his gospel to communicate to Jewish people. If you give a thesis of the book of Matthew, it's to convince the Jews of that day then and there and even beyond that Jesus is the fulfillment of their Judaism, that Jesus is the king 
that Jesus is the king of kings. You see, the Jewish world was waiting on the next earthly king, and he's trying to help them to see, no, 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 we got a better king than an earthly king. We got a spiritual king in King Jesus. And so he's trying to help them understand. But since he's writing to a Jewish crowd, he would know clearly that they would understand what it means to treat a pagan and what it means to treat a tax collector. It means you distance from them, and it means you have nothing to do with them. So he knew they would understand this metaphor and this action. But I don't know about you. I listen to that, and I think, man, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But if you've ever been around a toxic person long enough and you're trying to appeal and appeal and appeal, sometimes you realize, i got to what? i got to back up against that toxic person, right? There's got to be some, some space. And it's kind of interesting that this is what he advocates too. And then he says, even then, the person here has a huge blind spot to sin. And here's the irony of it. Everybody else can see it but that person now, that's good when it's about that person. <laughs> but what do you do when that person is you or me? What happens when people come and you're like, ooh, ooh, right? You know, we want to say, we want to be at Matthew 18 church, but do we really know what the impact of being a Matthew 18 church in a culture that does not like conflict that does not like the light shining, that does not like to show that there's things at times we're going to have to confess and repent and make right. But, but listen, we either claim Jesus is Lord or we don't. But if we believe it, do we really believe it? Listen, you know what I find more convenient? As I'll just, I'll just avoid the conflict and I'll just go to another church. But you know what happens when you and I just go to another church and leave things unresolved? All that unresolved just goes with us, Right? So stay in the mess of this messy church that's far from perfect and say, what can we do to keep growing in the Lord as we learn to love him more and learn to work as the body of Christ? You see, see I look at something here, and there's something very powerful in this. But even then, somebody can still refuse to listen with all the people that God sent to help them and they could still refuse. And here's what I know to be true. When there's no true connection with that person to a person that's refusing to be guided in God's love, there's a gap. There's a gap. Look at what it says in Matthew 18 as we keep reading. Look at verse 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything and ask for it, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. But for two or three who gather in my name, there am I with them. What does he mean? He says, what attitudes and what behaviors are you going to permit? What attitudes, what behaviors are you going to forbid? What you, what you bind, you bind. What you loosen, you loosen. And he is calling us into this fact that relationships matter, that attitudes and behaviors matter, words matter, resolving conflict, it matters. Because you're either going to live in division or you're going to live in unity. Which way you want it? I love God's word, even when it's hard, even when the light shines on discomfort. But see, the problem is there's an elephant in the room. I'm going to invite our worship team up. And, and even as they give us some space to kind of now kind of ask some deeper questions, well, how are we going to put this into practice? 
I think this is important for us because of all the so what's, this is filled with lots and lots of application. Because the fact of the matter is, there is an elephant in your room and in my room. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do in dealing with those situations slash people in, in our lives that are there for a reason? And the question is this. Many of us are going to feed it. And then we're going to be surprised why it doesn't leave. Ghosting, roasting, ignoring, avoiding, covering it up. We're just feeding it. And it'll never leave. But what if God says, I want to do something through you. But you got to trust me. And you got to trust my relationship. So the question is, with the elephants in your life, are you going to be active or are you going to be passive? Now, because our culture is so passive, I think, I think passive-aggressive really gets celebrated in our culture, right? Passive-aggressive. Come on, anybody know somebody? Anybody got a friend that's passive-aggressive? We love it when it's a friend, right? Because it's so easy to sit back and what? Be critical. It's easy to sit back and to complain. It's so tempting just to sulk. Even our body language shows that we're upset and mad. And when somebody finally gives us a chance and says, hey, what's wrong? We go, what? Nothing. You fine? Well, I'm not, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Right? And it's like everything in this is not dealing with the things that we need to deal with. Dealing with elephants in the room can transform immature behavior into breakthrough moments in relationships with our staff and our team and our families, and it will lead us to healthy culture. But the question is, will you and I practice Matthew 8? You and I practice Matthew 8. Come on, it starts with the goal. It starts with the goal, and it's practicing the pattern. It starts with the goal, it's practicing the pattern. Come on, it starts with the goal, and it's practicing the pattern. It starts with the goal, and it's practicing the pattern. So if that's true, who's your one? right now that God's saying, that's the person. In the next seven days, that's the person that needs a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. And well, we can come on Sundays when you hear the word or we can live the word. Who's the one? And I'm shrinking it. There might be more than one, but let's just start somewhere. <laughs> let's just start somewhere. Who's the one? Who's the one? And then before you go, remember, we gotta start with prayer. And we gotta ask our heart, hard questions. Why am I so revved up about this? What's my motivation? And if your motivation's to win, then you're never going to win in that relationship. And you can come here today and say, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate that person. I'm telling you, that hate will always get in the way of your love for Jesus. And it'll mess up every other relationship in your life. Jesus says, you want to be the most free? and be right with me and be right with others as far as it depends on you. He's given us, he's given us a way, but it starts with the goal and we gotta practice the pattern, right? We gotta do it, we gotta live it. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to live it? Now, if you do all that you can do through these words and the conflict continues to remain, then Jesus has given you permission to treat that person like a, 
a pagan like you would a pagan or like you would a tax collector. Now, what does that really mean for us today? Maybe it means taking a step back. But you know what, as you step back, I might have you step wider back and ask the deeper question. How does Jesus treat a pagan? How does Jesus treat a tax collector? Because if we're following Jesus, I wanna do things like Jesus. And the irony of the whole story, we might have to ask Matthew how Jesus treats a tax collector. Because what was Matthew doing when Jesus met him on that day to follow him? So maybe there's another outcome to this that we just totally missed, right? Maybe you do step back, but it's not forever, it's temporary, right? To get some health. And then you say, okay, God, let's go do it again. And let's re-engage again. Isn't that, isn't that the relentless love we talk about on Sunday? Come on, we just sing about it. Oh, Jesus, you're gonna kick down walls and doors and everything and come to me, right? And if that's the relentless way Jesus loves us, I wanna be like Jesus. And it's not always easy, because you know what? You and I are selfish by nature. But I'm telling you, the most freeing way to live is in a right relationship with Jesus and a right relationship with one another. Some of you have been living in the hurt and the hate for so long, you don't even know what forgiveness even feels like anymore. And you're the one that's captive. Today, as we continue to lean in on this soundbite series, Matthew 18, man, it's, it's, it's hitting the, the bell, right? Where we are. And so today, what are we gonna do with what we've just heard? Here's the best part of this message is that somebody could be sitting here among us today that feels separated from God and you would say, I'm the pagan, I'm the tax collector, I'm the untouchable one. God doesn't love me, doesn't know me. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus, he reached out to Matthew. So here's your bonus feature for the sermons, wasn't even in the notes. In Matthew chapter nine, Matthew shares his salvation story. It's pretty cool says that he was at the tax booth and on that day Jesus showed up and looked at him, called him by name and said, follow me. Matthew got up to follow him. Later that day, Jesus was at Matthew's very house and Matthew was holding a party with all his tax collector friends to introduce them to Jesus. And then here's what Jesus said, and I want you to hear this. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, I have come to call the sinners. God, I thank you for the day that you have made and I thank you for the fact that you love us enough that you have sent Jesus to meet us in our mess and in our sin and to love us enough to not leave us the same. God, I pray for my brother and sister that's sitting here today or watching online that has already professed Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, yet right now, God, they're living stuck in frustration. And God, I don't know the wound, and I don't know the person, and I don't know the situation, but I am confident today, God, you're well aware of it all. And I just pray, God, that you would meet us in our loss and our sorrow and our brokenness and that you would just simply speak to each of us 
But God, to the Christian today, we got to start with the purpose in mind. And we got to practice the process of the pattern of going one-on-one, inviting others as needed, and involving our church so we can get back to a place of restoration, a place of reconciliation, a place of unity again. God, the enemy would love, love, love to keep us isolated. And God, I'm always surprised that many people would rather choose loneliness, God, over relationship because of the fear of conflict. God, conflict is just gonna be a part of this life and this world, but it doesn't mean we have to run, God. Instead, you've given us a way to move through it. And I pray for your church today to begin to take your word and to live it out as truth the next seven days. Give us courage for that one person that we need to go and try to make it right with this week. And God, for the person here today, just like Matthew at that tax booth, today, God, they came and they're not a believer, they're not a Christian. Yet today, God, you brought them here for the sole purpose of them opening their heart and inviting you in. If you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I believe God created this service to reach you. But you gotta say yes. You gotta say yes to Jesus to begin with him. Are you ready? Are you willing to pray and to believe? Then right there where you're seated, would you just talk to God? Say, God, you're speaking to me. I realize I need you. I say yes to Jesus to forgive me, to love me, and to now lead me. I wanna be right with you, God. Help me to get right with others. Thank you for saving me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Come on, head bowed, eyes closed. Right here today, if you just confess Jesus to be your only hope, your only way, and you just declared him to be Lord over you. I wanna celebrate with you, and I wanna give you something that can help you in this brand new day of being a Christian. But I can't if I don't know who you are. If you're online right now, would you just look up right now? Would you hit that button? Our online host is ready to talk and to meet with you. Say today, I just gave my life to Christ. Who are you? If you're in this room with me here at Stafford campus, I want you to show me in this, this simple way Right here, right now, would you just raise your hand up above your head and hold it up, hold it up, hold it up and keep it up. And my prayer team's gonna move to you and they just wanna give you a gift to say, we wanna celebrate with you. Come on, today I just said yes to Jesus, that was me. Anybody here? Father, thank you, you're the only one that can save. We thank you for the grace, the mercy that you've given to us. Now may we be people of grace and mercy in these next seven days. Help us to live out Matthew 18 so that we may represent you here on earth. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, let's stand and sing about this great love.